Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, we'll get to that in one second. And But first, I want to tell you that we had our very first Grit and Grace group coaching call last week, and it was amazing. Seriously, y'all, amazing. You know, sometimes you create these things, and I know what I'm going to do, and I, you know, create the program, but it really comes to life when... You get a group of women together sharing authentically and honestly and holding space for each other. And it was so fucking gorgeous. You know, we still have a couple of spots in this cohort. And if more people want to join, then I will open up another uh, another cohort because I want to keep them, you know, intimate. I don't want to over overload it. So, but I would be very happy to open up a second one if we get, uh, you know, more people want to join. So it is open. It is ready to go. Um, Like I said, I think I've said before, but it is like rolling entry, I guess. So, you know, it's not like it starts on one day and it ends on another day. Like it it is going to be ongoing so people can join at any time. So if you are uh, ready to create profound shifts in your own worth, your strength, and your power, then grit and grace is 100% for you. And if you want to do this learning in this beautiful space created when women come together in community, so powerful. So if you want to learn more about the program or sign up for a consultation, go to kateanthony.com slash coaching, and you can read all about it. And now to today's episode. Today I am speaking with Vanessa Bennett. Vanessa is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is an author, holistic psychotherapist, and a codependency expert. Her therapeutic approach integrates years of study and practice in depth, Buddhist, and yoga psychology. She co hosts the Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. She leads soul-based retreats and workshops and creates and facilitates curriculum for nonprofit and corporate events and conferences. And Vanessa is another one of those people that as soon as we got into it, we were like, are we actually the same person? (laughs) We have so many um, similarities and um, parallel lives uh, in a lot of ways. So, and we even live really near each other. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Vanessa Bennett. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast to talk about all things, first of all, your new book. Um, all the things related to codependency, interdependency, 
healthy relationships. Yeah. I can tell you, that's one of the questions I get so often from my clients is like, what does a healthy relationship even look like? Let me know when you find out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still working towards figuring that one out myself. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Let's first of all, let's talk about your new book. Tell us um, a little bit about this book. You wrote this with your partner who most people, I think a lot of people know and follow. So why don't you, I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah. So my partner, um, most people know him, John Kim, he's the angry therapist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, you know, we decided to write a relationship book. He had been wanting to write a relationship book specifically for a long time and felt like, doesn't it make sense for us to do it together since we're in a relationship and we're also therapists who see people in relationships, right? Right. Um, and I also happen to be a writer. I haven't been in this game as long as he has. Uh, I actually was in corporate for a long time. I was in advertising for many years in New York and kind of had that awakening, that call, if you will, in my early 30s that kind of changed my entire life. Yeah. Um, so I many, I think. Similar one. I worked in, I worked down in, uh, at, at an investment bank for for a few years. Mm -hmm. And you not get the call. <laughs> nope, not me either. No. Although it's funny because I was in advertising, which is really psychology-based. So exactly. I, I use exactly. actually so much of what I did, right? And what right. I do now. But yeah, so we wrote this book really, um, you know, it's twofold. It's like, as couples therapists, we see so many couples struggling with, you know, I always just say the top 10, I probably should count the number of chapters in my own book, but the top 10 issues, right, that couples come to us struggling with. And it became really apparent that it's also the same issues that we struggle with, right? I kind of jokingly say, like, nobody's that special. We're all struggling with the same things, you know? Right. Um, and we wanted to get real about it. We wanted to pull the curtain back on our own relationship and show people how we not only struggle, but how we work through and continue to work through these common problems. Um, and so it is part memoir. You know, we're very honest about our shortcomings, our past relationships, failed relationships, you know, what we've learned about them, um, but also our shortcomings in this current relationship. You know, we're not perfect. We're actually not married, which we we made a conscious decision not to get married. We do have a daughter and we own a home together. So we kind of went off the the typical path, even in that, um, which we speak to as well. So we talk a lot about like the fallacy of this idea of the one. Yeah, um, you know, one of the chapters is called "Happily Ever After" is bullshit. <laughs> I love so it. We're very honest <laughs> because yes, it is. Uh -huh. You guys are so my people. Um, one of the chapters in my book is not my fucking job. So. Yep, that sounds like me. Are you sure you're not a New Yorker? I am a New Yorker. Oh, you are. Oh, I knew I felt a, a kindred connection. Yes, okay. okay. I am a New Yorker. <laughs> good, good. Um, yes, exactly. We're, you know. Um, so, okay. So, uh, and the book, the book is called, It's, it's not, not Me, It's You. Uh -huh. um, and then the subtitle is Break the Blame Cycle Relationship Better. I love it. So one of the topics that have a, have another kindred connection around is codependency versus interdependency. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people know what codependency is, but they don't necessarily know what interdependence is. However, um, let's talk about codependence and let's, yeah. sort of, I want to, I want to start there. Um, how do you define codependence? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think a lot of people, I think you're right. I think a lot of people know the term um, codependency. Yes. I would actually say I disagree that people know what it means. I think you're right. I think because yes. I think that still, even now, I think that people look at it as like I, I like to call it like the old guard versus the new guard, right? It's like codependency, most of us know that it was a, a term 
or a designation created for the wives of alcoholic husbands. Yes. Right. And that's not, not true, but it's also a lot bigger than that. And we understand so much more about how that relation, those plural relational dynamics play out in all relationships, not just in marriages. Right. And not just with people who are substance abusers, you know, that's kind of the old way of looking at it. I try to be very simple in the way I describe it. There's two things that I usually say. So my my kind of definition of it is very easily understood as just this. If you're good, I'm good. If you're not good, I'm not good. Yes, I love it. Mm-hmm. Right? So yep. my emotional state is based on somebody else's emotional state. It's based outside of self. My sense of self, my sense of worth, my sense of goodness, all of these things are derived outside of self. Right. That in and of itself is codependency. That's a codependent way of relating. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I say a lot that I've actually gotten a lot of eyebrow raises and some pushback actually from other um, clinicians is we're all codependent. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing. It's like we other people, like there's people who are codependent and there's people who are not. In my experience, it is the air we breathe. It is the society we live in. Particularly for women. Particularly for women. We are basically taught that codependent love is love. That's right. right. That's right. Uh, you complete me. I lose myself in you. I can't breathe when you're not around, right? I am not yeah. whole until I find another person. I mean, yeah. Disney yeah. movies, rom-coms, I mean, That's all right. of these ways yep. of being are codependent ways of relating. And so it makes sense, right? I say that not to minimize, but more so to say, like, don't blame yourself. Like, this is what you've been taught. Yeah. And I think I like the idea of like old guard, new guard, because I think that in the past, it was also something that was considered very shameful, Mm -hmm. very, you know, there was a lot of judgment surrounding it. But I think- Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you say, like, are you codependent Mm -hmm. and, or you're codependent and people immediately sort of go into this shame spiral or Mm -hmm. whatever. When frankly, I think it's, first of all, I think naming something is liberating. Um, and I think that if we understand how completely, uh, universal this experience Mm -hmm. is and how it is so systemic, I think I said years ago, I posted something that said something like, uh, is it codependency or patriarchy? Because <laughs> I think they're one and the same. Yeah. I mean, how can you how can you separate out all of these systems of like societal systems that we live in, right? I right. mean, don't they to a certain yeah. extent just feed into each other? That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then I think that the more current understanding of codependency is also so much more rooted in a lot of trauma that we all it's a have. Like, based response, right? I mean, is that is exactly yeah. exactly. And it the it, you know, it has the roots, you know. Pia Melody, this is like my favorite mm-hmm. world. Um, Pia Melody's tree. Have you seen like her codependency tree? And it's all about it's all it's all trauma. <laughs> yeah, and this is like I, I teach a lot of. I mean, I teach like a fifteen part series on understanding codependency, and you know, two out of fifteen of those are specifically around upbringing. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's not to blame parents because again, that's what they know. It's all they know, and most of us walk around super codependent with our children too. So how can you actually even expect somebody not to be codependent in the way that we walk around and parent, you know? Absolutely. I'm so codependent with my son. He's 17 and he's totally abandoning me and I'm having all the feelings. So codependence, right? Is Mm -hmm. this, in a sense, you're give you are, you are giving your sense of self, your identity over to another. So if they're not okay, you're not okay. If someone's not there, you are not okay. 
right? I know that was true for me. If I didn't have a boyfriend, I was nothing. Mm-hmm. I was untethered, right? Mm-hmm. I was like flailing. <laughs> now I haven't had one for so long. I don't, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I'm, like, well, I'm actually really grounded. <laughs> like, sure. So what is interdependence? Yeah, I like to talk about it in my 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 girlfriend, who's also my my co-host on my podcast. We We really talk about it in this way of like, it's like three prongs of a triangle. You've got codependence on one side, you've got hyper-independence on the other side, which really are just two sides of the same coin, right? And yeah. then you've got independent or interdependence, sorry, in somewhere in the middle. And so mm-hmm. this idea of interdependence, it's funny because you can see a lot of different ways of describing it out there. And to be honest, I, I don't know that I've even created kind of a pithy way. Um, most of my understanding of it has really come through more of, of spiritual teachings. So mm-hmm. like Alan Watts used to speak a lot about interdependence, right? And his way of looking at it actually was one of the ways that really stuck out for me the most. So he would say like the bee and the flower are interdependence. They're mm-hmm. in a relationship of interdependence, right? They are their own autonomous beings with their own jobs and, and things to do on this planet. And yet they're inextricably linked. Like they do actually need each other to survive, which I think is important as humans. It's like, we talk all about codependence and why it's a bad thing. And I get so often like, well, but we need other people. And I always say, well, that's not what I'm saying. To a certain extent, a dependence is necessary when you are a social creature, right? Right. Like we do need other people around us. That is normal. Why we had a full on mental health breakdown and crisis when when we were shut away for two years. Right. And also as a mother, like you understand, I mean, there is to a certain extent, you know, there are times where my daughter to everyone else around her seems completely normal. And I'm like, uh oh, we've got five minutes. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. meltdown's about to happen. You better yeah. get her a snack or get her down for a nap. Otherwise, everyone's going to suffer. No one else notices about me. Sure, of course. Right? right. And so there is a certain amount of that that is biological. It is required as a species for us to survive. But I just love the way he talks about, like, and yet the bee and the flower are their complete own autonomous beings on this planet and they exist in that way. And so that to me, I think from a visual perspective has really helped me understand interdependence. I really love that. And I think it's, and and I, and I also love it as like motherhood, right? Mm -hmm. Like our children are, it's so important to give our children that autonomy to Mm -hmm. see them as beings unto themselves that are you know, going to do their own thing in the world that are not necessarily a part of you, a part of me, a part like, you know, are their own, their own creatures and all the plans you have in the world for how you're going to parent them go out the window as soon as they arrive. Um, And yet, Mm -hmm. right. They need us. Mm -hmm. We need them to a degree. I mean, they, they definitely need us. Um, And but to allow for that autonomy is so important. Yeah. And, you know, this is where the idea of let's take away the shame around codependent ways of relating. This is where this comes into play, right? We all are born with mirror neurons. I mean, it's how we survive, right? And so especially, you know, mother to child, we develop this amazing way to be able to mirror back to that parent, you know, whether it's a smile, whether it's a frown, we do this so that we can become more deeply connected as beings. 
the thing is, like Gabor Monte talks about how there are ultimately two necessary kind of, let's say, needs as a human being, autonomy and attachment. Mm-hmm. And they are equal. And yet attachment will win out every time because attachment, you actually need to survive, right? right? Yes. So like, yes, in order to thrive, you know, at a soul level, I need autonomy and attachment, but in order to survive biologically, I need attachment. And so it will win out. If my autonomy needs to go by the wayside in order to more deeply connect to my attachment figure, then that is what I will do. Mm. That makes sense. So it's like, I will let go of my desire for autonomy if somehow that threatens my attachment. In a healthy relationship. In a not healthy relationship. In a not healthy relationship. Okay. We learn this as children, right? So as a child, my desire for autonomy threatens my deep connection, my attachment connection to my attachment figure. Uh, I see. Because there's, because they're threatened by it, because they're right. I see. Yes. I will table that autonomy for the attachment and Uh thus the codependent. And that's where this planted. Yes. Yes. And this is, you know, it's interesting because I think we're also talking about attachment styles, Mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about, um, you know, in codependence and, you know, extreme independence, Mm -hmm. right? Which is avoidant. Mm -hmm. And then we have secure attachment, which is, which is, I think, in that middle line of interdependence, right? Where we're secure going off and being independent and doing our thing and then coming together. I think about my my dad who is 81 and about maybe like 12 years ago, he met the love of his life. And they are a great example of this, right? She's a painter. She is like, she spends all day in her studio. She was very avoidant for a while. Um, and I, they kind of were having a rift and I kind of helped them. <laughs> like, I was like, you guys need to get over yourself and actually communicate. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, this is not like you're about to break up and it's stupid. <laughs> so, and we did that, you know, and they came back together and they now they live together. And he, my dad's in his basement, in the basement, working in his office all day and running his business. And she's in the studio painting all day. And then a couple times a day, you know, he's like, Hey honey, you ready for lunch? And then they go out to lunch together and then they go back and they do their thing. Mm -hmm. And then at night they come together and they have dinner and they fall asleep holding hands every night. And he, he needs her Mm -hmm. like, you know, he needs her, the, the love that they have. And especially at his age and he is so grateful and he's, you know, and they need each other, but yet also they are, completely autonomous individuals. And that's why their relationship works so well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things Esther Perel says, right? She says fire needs air. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so yeah. important. And it's a balance to your point. I mean, this is why we say it's, it's a bit of a pendulum, right? We're going to, most of us are going to kind of swing back and forth. I mean, from an attachment style perspective, I tend to dip more into the avoidant spectrum. My partner tends to dip more into the anxious spectrum, which is pretty normal. We tend to see these right. kind of opposing right. you know, ways of being very much drawn to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that attachment style is actually something we talk about in the book as well. But I, it depends on who I'm with. Uh-huh. It depends on what's been activated in me because I can find myself, I have found myself in relationships with people who are more avoidant and I will find myself being more anxious, sure. right? Which is yeah. also normal. And this is what we're starting to understand about attachment styles are more fluid you know, yes. not very rigid and strict. That's right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love this idea of what you're saying about your dad. It's like, 
Fire needs air. We do need each other, right? Again, like, let's be clear. But what we don't need is suffocation. What we don't need is you complete me. (laughs) I am complete. You are the cherry on my Sunday. It's a very different way of looking at it than like, I am only 50%, right? Until I meet somebody. Oh, absolutely. I love that. You're the cherry on my Sunday. (laughs) Someday I'm going to find my cherry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, John is like, some days my cherry. And some days I'm like, you're like the nuts on my Sunday. I don't like nuts on my Sunday. So, (laughs) oh, no, no, don't put nuts on my, no. Like, people put peanuts on Sundays. Like, let's not do that. And now a word from our sponsor the Divorce Survival Program. Now that you know that divorce is on the horizon, you need to get up to speed on how all of this works. Stat. You probably have a million and one questions swirling through your head from how and when do we tell the kids to will my ex and I ever get along again and just about everything in between. You've got legal questions, you've got financial questions, and you've got a whole host of questions about your kids. And that doesn't even touch how you'll start your life over again. Lucky for you, I have the answers to all of your questions. As one of the pioneers of the divorce coaching industry, I've been helping women navigate the divorce process for the last decade. And now, for the first time ever, all of my divorce wisdom is available in one online program. The Divorce Survival Program will help you process the emotional fallout of your divorce so you don't go into mediation bitter or resentful. It'll help you understand the difference between litigation, mediation, collaborative divorce, and identify which is right for you. It'll help you tell your husband you want a divorce in a way that doesn't keep you stuck in a circular conversation for the next three months. It'll help you tell your kids you're getting a divorce in a way that won't completely break them. It'll help you understand how your divorce will impact your friends and family and what conversations are appropriate to have with each. It'll help you create appropriate and healthy boundaries with your ex and learn about dating after divorce and how that will affect you, your kids, and yes, even your ex. But most important, the most important thing this program will help you do is protect your children from any unnecessary fallout from an ugly and contentious divorce litigation. And that, my love, is fucking priceless. So sign up today. Go to kateanthony.com slash getting divorced and don't forget to use the code DSGPOD for $50 off. That's DSGPOD, Divorce Survival Guide Podcast, because that's where you heard it. DSGPOD will give you $50 off. So once again, that's kateanthony.com slash getting divorced. And now back to our episode. Let's talk about love languages. I yeah. want to know, I want to hear your your thoughts. I have very strong <laughs> thoughts on it? Oh, I love it. Thoughts on it. So I would love to hear your thoughts. So another on one it. of those kind of like pop psychology realms, right? Um, right exactly. And so we also, we, we have a chapter around love languages and I actually kind of look at love languages. I think what Gary Chapman did was actually beautiful, right? I think he was, he was so wise and being able to take something that felt very big and like hard to nail down and put it in a way that our brains, which we love to categorize, right? Like it just yep. makes sense. Yep. And I, I don't mean to minimize it, but the way that I describe love languages, people who haven't, you know, heard of it or couples that are struggling with it is it's like, um, it's like the cliff notes for needs. <laughs> That's great. Right. It's yeah, like, right. this is how I need to be loved. And this is how I need to be loved. And this is how I show love. And it's, it's very needs based. Yeah. So 
you know, John and I will talk often about how he is a words of affirmation person. Mm-hmm. That's how he receives love. And I am an acts of service person. That's how I, yep. How I give and receive. <laughs> also hella codependent, right? Right. Um, <laughs> there's a connection. Let's be real. Damn it. Um, but you know, his joke is always like, I could write your name. Like he's like poems and he'll write me these beautiful cards and he'll tell me all these wonderful things. He's like, I could write your name in the sky with a, with a plane. And the first thing you'd say is like, how much did that cost? Yeah. <laughs> that seems ridiculous. Like, why would, why would you do that? That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> right. Dumb. Yeah. Um, and the thing that's been really interesting for me and the struggle in our relationship is that words of affirmation actually are not easy for me to give. They're really difficult. Yeah. I'm yes. good at writing them. I can like send you a beautiful email or write you a card, but looking you in the eyes in a vulnerable way and telling you what it is that I love about you and appreciate about you makes me clam up. It makes me sweat just thinking about. And so, right, this is what Gary Chapman was really talking about. It's like, it's so important for you to know how your partner needs to feel loved because sometimes it is hard for you. That's right. That's right. The way I look at it is like, okay, well, do I want to make myself uncomfortable a few times a week in order to make sure that my partner feels deeply loved and seen by me? Yeah, I can handle that. Right. It sucks for me, but I can handle it, you know? But it's also, I feel like it's also um, an arrow pointing to your work. A hundred percent. So it's like, thank you for like, saying that because not to. a lot of people say that actually. They don't really get that connection. And yes, a hundred percent. Right. Like if it's uncomfortable, like, hmm, why is, why that? is that? Where's the wounding around that? Yeah. Um, and vice versa. Why is it that like, if I were to look at him and we've talked about this, I recently saw this new, new ish research that was starting to talk about how your love language is can be maybe it's not a hundred percent, but can be indicative of what you did not receive when mm-hmm. you were growing up, right? right. And so yes. it makes sense, like that tracks. I think for both of us, if I look at it in that way, oh, a hundred percent, which is also healing for you to do on yourself around how do I receive it, right? And where is my self? Right, where is my self love? Right. Mm-hmm. What is that's a map for I mean, it is. It's such it's so brilliant because it can be a map for self-love. It can be a map for right. I'm the same thing. I'm acts of service and gifts. Mm, I'm touch and and acts of service. Yeah. And so I except since having a kid. Now all of a sudden touch is like <laughs> not really <laughs> in my area where I'm like, can you not touch me? Everybody just needs to stop touching. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's that's new motherhood, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. It's, I mean, it's really interesting because with love languages, I think it's really important. I think it's one of the most misunderstood things. I see it mm-hmm. all the time. I see it on dating apps and, you know, my, like there, people think that you're supposed to find someone with the same love language. Imagine and that's this, right. literally the opposite of the point. <laughs> mm-hmm. The point is how you stretch yourself beyond yourself in mm-hmm. order to show love to the person that in the way that they receive it. Right. 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 If you're looking for someone who has the same love language, then there's no, there's no stretching. There's no growing challenge. Right. That's why we're so attracted to people who are different than us. Right. I mean, really at the end of the day, it's because our psyche is desiring that mirror to hold up to us and say, where do I need to grow and expand? Right. Like Jung would say it's your inferior function. And like the point of this life is actually to work on your inferior functions. Um, Not to just like get in a little hole of comfort and think that that's like what life is supposed to be. It is supposed to be about growth and challenge. 
Well, and also if you get into that little hole of comfort, you're going to get really bored really quickly mm-hmm. and you're not going to feel the things that you need to feel. Exactly. So uh, going back to like codependency and interdependency, how do you, I mean, I, this is great. You have a, a, a series on this, but um, how do you work with people to move towards interdependence to, to heal the, the unhealthy parts of the codependent, uh, you know, codependent parts of us? Yeah. I mean, it's a process, right? As everything is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually through baby steps. You know, the the hard thing about like self-betterment, for example, is it's not like I can study for a math test, I can memorize some problems, and then I can get that A back and clearly see, right? I I I aced this content. It is one of those things where you'll be slogging along, feeling like you're not really making any improvements, and then six months down the road, you might have an argument with, let's say, your mother or your sister, and you come away going, oh, I actually, I set a boundary. I feel really good about how I came out of that. You know, I didn't take on what wasn't mine. I said no, whatever the thing is that you're struggling with. And you go, oh, shit, that's different. out. Yeah. Yeah. That's progress, right? But a lot of people have a hard time because we're just, we're so used to like instant gratification. They have a hard time saying like, It'll happen when it happens, but it's a slow incremental change, right? Um, But the way that I break it out also is I think it's important for people to understand. I say there's like, I I do like a laundry list of codependent behaviors uh, at the beginning of the first class I teach. And I always say, you don't have to check every single one of these boxes, right? right? Like Mm -hmm. in my relationship with my mother, I might see behaviors two, three, and nine on that list. In my relationship with my partner, it might be 12 and 13. At work, it might be 16, two, and five, right? And so that, and that's really normal. And so what you do is once you understand how do I relate in these different ways to these different people, then you can start paying attention to like, what is it that makes me feel icky in these relationships? And you can actually start to kind of zero in on them. A lot of this is really around developing a sense of self, all of it, right? A connection to self capital S, because the more you develop that sense of self, the less likely you actually are to do those behaviors. That's right. Right. And that's the crux of all this work is developing that, that connection to self. This is this idea of intuition, right? I always say, I'm like, well, but most of us have been taught to not listen to that. That's right. Especially women. Exactly. So it's turned so far down. We're so used to listening to everybody else around us external that we don't know what the fuck our intuition is even saying. Right. Right. So it's a process. I mean, that's, that's part of the work. It's like figuring out what the hell is my gut telling me? Right. Yes. Yes. I, Yes. <laughs> the um the, the opening chapters in, of my book are about all of this. Mm-hmm. Um and about, you know, because I'm I work mostly with women who are trying to decide whether to stay or go. Mm-hmm. And the first, you know, because what they do is they tend to focus on the other person. Like, well, yep. he's this and he's doing this and he's doing that. And yes, if there's abuse, we're gonna focus on that mm-hmm. and we're gonna look at that. Um, but at the end of the day, the very first thing that we have to do is develop yourself. Right. And the first the, the first step that I that I walk through in my book is about intuition and about mm-hmm. how women have we it's scientifically proven that we actually have a more finely honed sense of intuition and I think part part of that is you know um biological and motherhood. motherhood right we have right. to know that like oh that like your intuition that your daughter is going to have a meltdown is necessary for for us to, um, you know, continue to exist, right? Right. 
oh, that's a I'm hungry cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, intuition is it, it's it's at once the most important thing that women have and the most dangerous. Yeah, that's that the entire structure. All of these systems are designed mm-hmm. to suppress. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, it's it's really interesting, right? Because when we talk about like these more masculine or feminine energies, right? Like intuition, obviously being more of a feminine energetic, every person, regardless of gender embodies all of the masculine and all of the feminine, right? And this is like so much of the work I do with people is to them to understand too, like the patriarchy serves no one, no one, except for the select few people on top that make money from it, right? And keep their status and power, right? right? But the rest of us, male, female, doesn't matter, nobody benefits because as men, men have been cut off from their feminine. Women have been cut off from their feminine, right? Right. We're all walking around with the feminine completely shut off and destroyed. And then we can't figure out why we're all miserable. We're all addicted. We're all right. Disconnected. We can't have healthy relationships. Yes. Right. Why, you know, our schools are getting shot up, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. anger, no healthy relationships with anger and rage or emotions in general. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it for women, yeah, it's an intu- it's an intuitive thing where it was very dangerous for you to be in touch with that feminine nature and and the earth and our connection to source and right, our connection to each other, that posed a big threat, Absolutely. right? To the powers that be. And so Absolutely. we better shut it down quickly. Um, but I love that you work with clients in that way about about like, let's focus on you. Right. Cause like abuse, like acute issues aside, you can finger point all you want. This is the whole crux of our book, right? It's like break the blame cycle, own your shit, own your shit, own your hundred percent, do your own work, focus on yourself. The relationship is going to change hundred percent guaranteed. The relationship will change with the other person. If you change the relationship with yourself now, whether or not that changes and you want to be with them, that's a whole other conversation. But the bottom line is if you change the relationship with you, you're going to change the relationship with other people. That's right. I always talk about it. Like we're puzzle pieces, right? We all are puzzle pieces. And if we start to shift our, the shape of our puzzle piece, all the pieces around us have to either Mm -hmm. shift their shape as well or they pop out. Yeah. And there's going to be that period of stress yeah. and strain when they're like resisting that. And that's the most critical part for us, right? Because that's, that's uncomfortable. Cool. It's really uncomfortable. Like that's yeah. what people need to understand. Like this work is not without discomfort, right? And a lot of people will choose the devil you know versus the devil they don't yep. because of that discomfort. And, you know, I, I like to say, like, let's not get it twisted. When I say uncomfortable, I'm saying like, do the thing that makes you so uncomfortable. You want to rip your skin off. Yes. The thing that makes you want to literally open the window and jump out of it. Like, because here's the thing, your nervous system, your system is actually telling you, I will die if I do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking annihilation anxiety. We're at the absolute root, the most primal human anxiety. All of this goes against, because again, attachment is how I quote unquote, survive. Mm -hmm. And as adults, we haven't quite gotten to the place where we realize, actually, if that attachment person in my life goes away, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. But it sure as hell feels like it. Absolutely. That's normal. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I remember walking into one of my, it was like really, really early. It's like 25 years ago. I don't know. um, Really early in my Al-Anon journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my early in my codependency recovery journey. And I 
thought I was something about my boyfriend who later became my husband is now my ex-husband. And I was, I was having this like severe anxiety that he was going to break up with me. It was one of those where he was like, I need space. And I fucking panicked, like panic. And I was in a meeting and I was sharing about it. And this man came up to me afterwards and he was like, so what if he did disappear? Like, what if, so, so what if he does? And I was like, are you on, are you, what? (laughs) I will like, I will literally die. And he was like, but no, you won't. You're going to be okay. Even if he, and I could not, it was a concept. I literally couldn't wrap my brain around that Mm -hmm. I would, or my, my, my feelings, my heart, like nothing. I could not wrap anything around it. And of course I, I would have been perfectly fine, but I was so entrenched in this panic. Like I couldn't even understand what he was saying mm-hmm. until like years later, <laughs> like literally years later. And I, I see it a lot too. Like the, one of the hardest relationships that I feel like it, it to break these codependent cycles is with our children. Right. Because especially as parents, uh, the number of times that I've worked with people or I've been an Al-Anon with people who, you know, the mom or the dad is there and they're an Al-Anon because their son or their daughter is a drug addict or is, you know, and um, they just can't support the financial anymore. Like they've got to get out of these cycles. And I, I remember one of my early Al-Anon meetings, I remember a woman, older woman saying her do- her son was um, a heroin addict and he was back on the streets again. And it had sounded like there had been years and years and years of this cycle, right? Yep. And she was so calm. She had this fascinating like calmness around her, which especially when I was very early in my journey, I was like, I want whatever it is that you're drinking. I want a little bit of that. I want you know? that. Yeah. And she was just like, this is his life. This is his journey. And if he and God decide that this is where it ends, will I be devastated? Of course. No one is saying I won't be. Mm-hmm. But it's not my choice to make. Mm-hmm. Um and I do believe, I'm sure you've seen this too, like I would say the majority of hard pushback I get around the codependency work is people who are so like, but if I don't, they'll die. That's right. That's right. And yeah, that's real. And you're right. They might die. And it's not your life. In, because in the meantime, you're, you're dying. You're dying. That's right. You're dying because your whole life is taken up by worry and fear, and you don't have a life, and you don't have relationships, and you can't function because of your terror. Which two, I two lives going down instead of one, right? Yeah, right. Which as a listen, as a mother of a seventeen-year-old, like I get, I get it. it. <laughs> I get it. Um, I can't fathom the work it would take to get to that place. But I, but at least I'm coming. I would be coming at it at this point in my life from a place of knowing. That it would be possible and it's and it's necessary. Yeah. And it's not to say I'm sure that woman, while she was very calm in that moment, I'm sure she has moments where she's a puddle on the floor. Like a panic, of course. You know? Of course. Um, that's normal. But it it's this constant recalibration, like this constant mm-hmm. process of recalibration, right? I mean, even on the less extreme, I see it in myself all the time in my in my relationship with my partner, right? I mean. I tend to be the like, don't rock the boat. Don't speak up. I like under communicate, whereas he's like the over communicator. It used to be like, my, my joke is like, I used to never realize that I wasn't even speaking up. I just would like, let it go. And I'd just be like stewing in resentment. And after doing my work, it would be like maybe two weeks. And I would be like, you know, I got to talk to you about this thing. And then eventually it was like three days. And now it might be like a day. And I'll be like, huh, I'm feeling resentment. 
oh, there's that thing I should talk about. There's that thing. That's right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen in the moment. Yeah. Hate to break it to you. Probably would never no, will. <laughs> it does not have, I have, I have a friend, a former friend, my former best friend who. Oh, I have a former best friend too. Yeah. This, work is, this work is fun sometimes. Isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And she would, she would actually get mad at me if I came to her later. If I'd be like, you know, that thing, that conversation we had last week, she'd be like, why didn't you say so in the moment? Do we have the same former best friend. <laughs> That's literally what our relationship ended over. Wow. That exact same thing. Wow. Interesting. Fascinating. Compare notes when we're done. Saying, oh man. <laughs> I would like, I'm not that fast of a processor. Like that's just not me. I know that there's something wrong in the moment, but it'll, I have to sleep on it before I wake up and go, oh, it was because of that. I have to like, I can't articulate it. I can sense it, but it takes me like maybe some journaling, maybe some, like you said, sleeping on it where I'm like, oh, it was because she said this and I felt that. And then it's like, I can wrap my head around it and then I can kind of deliver it to you. That's the thing, man. People are different processing speeds. And that's another thing in relationships that can be really hard. Like my partner wants to talk about everything always right now. And I'm like, can we not talk about everything <laughs> always right now? Like I need a day at Give least. Yeah, right. Because I, I need to process because I can't come to you. I can't have the conversation. Like I'm literally incapable of having the conversation if I don't know how I feel. Yep. And you know, look, look, to be fair, like on on the other side of this ended friendship, one of the things she said to me in that last exchange was like, I don't feel safe. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lack of safety that I feel if something happens, you don't tell me. And then you've been like walking around holding this for the last week. And I'm like, at the time I like almost couldn't understand it. Now I'm like, I get that. Sure. I I do. I understand that. But I think there was maybe like an intolerance on both sides slightly for the other person's like processing speed, right? The other person's need for space or whatever that, that thing was. Right. Yeah. And maybe there was more underlying it any, like, and that was, there always is. There always is. That was just, that was the cherry. That was the bad cherry. (laughs) That That was was the the nuts. That was the nuts. (laughs) That was the nuts for sure. (laughs) That ruined the whole Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Had all be thrown in the garbage. It was just, it was no good. Oh my God, Vanessa, I could talk to you all day. I adore <laughs> you. I'm so excited that we had the, got to have this conversation. Um, tell everyone where they can find you and buy your book. Yeah, so the book is wide right now. So you can buy it anywhere, Amazon, Target, all the, the local indies. Um, I am on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett. Um, I'm on TikTok actually as the Coda Yoda. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> which like was a joke when I made, cause I was like, ah, let's just see what TikTok's all about. And I kind of made it and it's like taken off. And now I'm like, does that need to be like my brand name? I yep. don't know. hundred <laughs> percent. I know it's, it's like cheeky. It's funny. And then my website is VanessaBennett.com. So you can kind of find me all the places. Awesome. And of course, all of that will be linked in the show notes. Vanessa, thank you so much. So appreciate having you here. This was fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.